So it is a very big pleasure for me to be back at ISCA and to give a paper at ISCA 12 years after my uh, initial first paper I read here on the bugger in 2000 when I was um, just uh, had just finished my, my PhD about, about it. Um, the bugger, however, have now been removed from my interest, not from my heart, and I hope to go back to them uh, in the future. But I have been kind of distracted uh, over the last years with other interests and <coughs> projects and situations in Africa. And one of them was uh, rather serendipitous, uh, but it was, uh, Morgan just mentioned the North Face project, recognizing Christianity, how African migrants redefined the European religious landscape. And this is a project which I was directing in Lisbon with partners here in the UK and, and in the Netherlands and informal partners in Africa as well. And, um, and we were studying African churches that are settled or African uh, initiated churches that are settled in, in Europe. And in this project I became interested uh, in Kimbanguism, which uh, to any of you may sound familiar because Kimbanguism is, or Kimbanguism, you can pronounce it both ways, is uh, one of the classic studies in the anthropology of religion in Africa. There are some texts that everybody who's gone through a course on initiation to introduction to African studies or introduction to African religion especially will have read. Uh, I'm thinking of Balandier's uh, chapters in uh, Sociologie de l'Afrique Noire, translated into English, or uh, more uh, closer to uh, our Anglophone uh, world, the uh, wonderful text by Wyatt, Ma Wyatt McAfee, the American anthropologist who has been uh, researching on the Bakongo uh, since um, the late 50s or early 60s and who uh, dedicated one entire book to uh, Kimbanguism. And Kimbanguism, uh, for, all, for everybody interested in prophetic movements in colonial Africa, is, I could say, the paradigmatic case. And little with Little did I know that uh, Kimbanguism was not only an African uh, reality, an African institution based in Africa, um, <clears throat> but that in fact is settled in Europe as well. There are Kimbanguist churches all over the continent, uh, as well as in Atlanta, in the States, and in uh, Rio de Janeiro, and in Brazil. But uh, one of the most um, active parishes, even if it's one of the smallest ones, is, is actually the parish in Lisbon. So uh, over the last seven years now, I've been actively involved in, in studying that very little parish, uh, which is like a microcosmos of uh, Africans in Europe, of Kimbanguism, of migration into Portugal and into Europe. And at the same time, it has been for me uh, a, a golden road to the Kimbanguist church, so I have been traveling with the Kimbanguists from Lisbon to Angola first, which is where they come from. And, and, and in fact, one of the projects that I'm now directing uh, is uh, about uh, Angola, and I will uh, refer to it at the end of this paper, uh, but also to Congo, to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where Kimbanguism was born in 19... Well, it's difficult to answer, uh, or it's difficult to say. There are two possible interpretations. You could say that Kimbanguism... Uh, was born in 1921 when Simon Kimbangu, who gave uh, the name to this movement, uh, performed his first 
miracle, and his most amazing miracle, he resuscitated a woman who, uh, according to uh, all possible witnesses and oral tradition, was, was, was dead. Um, so um, you could say that that was the origin of the movement. But uh, it could also be claimed, according to, I mean, depending on how you look at it, that Kimbanguism was born in 1959, so, you know, uh, almost half a decade later, when the church was officially established, uh, recognized, and became one of the most important institutions in post-colonial, in colonial uh, Belgian uh, Africa in 1951, <coughs> just one year before uh, the Congo became independent uh, in 1960, and then uh, Kimbanguism became uh, one of the major religious forces in the, in the post-colony. Um, Kimbanguism, as I say, was, was uh, widely studied, especially by, by Wyatt McGaffey, uh, who insisted on the continuity, and I will refer to it later, uh, between Kimbanguism and traditional uh, Congo cosmologies. <clears throat> Kimbanguism uh, is, however, today in, in post-colonial Congo, uh, in independent Congo, one of the, possibly the second biggest church in, 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 in the territory, or, or, or the third one. I mean, we don't have a very clear uh, census, but it all indicates that it could be probably one of the two or three biggest. And it's um, entangled in politics and in relations between Congo and Angola in ways that I will uh, reveal um, later. And one of the things that makes Kimbanguism particularly um, original, let's say, from a cultural point of view, from an inventor's point of view, is what has captured my own imagination and which is what, what I'm now investigating and, 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 and writing uh, about and, and I'm writing a, a book of which this material uh, is, is a part. But one of the, uh, this, this particular interesting uh, bit of Kimbanguism is, is the invention of an alphabet uh, that a Kimbanguist man uh, uh, proposed after a, a prophetic revelation to his uh, Kimbanguist uh, fellows, and an alphabet that is now being uh, very widely used and accepted, not only by the church, but also by many other uh, colonial agents and, and subjects, sorry, uh, Belgian. Uh, Congolese um, agents, but I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about Kimbanguism in general and about and about Simon Kimbangu in particular. And that's why I mentioned or I entitled this paper the uh, biography of the uh, Holy Ghost. So let me start with uh, Kimbangu. Okay, Simon Kimbangu uh, was born in the late 19th century probably in 1887, although uh, I'm very suspicious about this date. It's the official date, so it's the date that we are uh, almost compelled and ethically obliged to, to, to reproduce in our writings because this is the official date that the church is, is using. Uh, but um, there is a theological explanation for this date, and I, and I, and I have uh, uh, my doubts that um, historical records would uh, support it. In any case, he was born at the end of the 19th century. And in 1921, when he was a very young man, um, he, as I said, performed a series of miracles in a very small village called Nkamba in the province of the Lower Congo, or uh, Bas Congo in French, or in Belgium. 
um, where he was living, where he had been born, and, when he, and where, and it is important to take that into consideration, where he was working as a catechist of the Baptist Church. And the Baptist Church is actually very important in the uh, framing of a Kimbanguist culture. Even if Kimbanguists today uh, tend to neglect that, uh, that dependency of the Baptist Church, and they want to see Kimbanguism and Kimbangu as a purely African phenomenon, as a phenomenon that is sui generis to the African continent, that was born in the African continent without um, any other... Uh, combination. So there are some very interesting theological disquisitions and uh, one could say uh, without wanting to be derogatory that there is a lot of uh, bricolage going on in order to explain how uh, Kimbanguism can be seen as both a Christian religion and uh, something that had not, nothing to do or very little to do with uh, Western penetration. Um, in any case, Kimbangu, being a catechist, he started to realize that the way the colonialists were treating the subjects of the colony was against uh, Christian principles. Uh, that in fact Christianity, the religion that these people were introducing and they were preaching, was against their own practices. So uh, he became like, say, a mirror to the colonialists, like, 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 like uh, showing to them what they were doing and how contrary that was to their own principles and to their <coughs> own religion. And he uh, promoted uh, the reading of the Bible. He said to the people, you have to read the Bible. This Bible that these missionaries have, that they don't let us have, uh, you should read it, and if you read it, you would realize that the Bible is against this constant humiliation and this constant um, treatment that we are getting. So he um, became a very popular preacher, but not only a preacher of uh, Christian principles, he very soon became, especially in, 19, in, in April 19, 1921, he became uh, a maker of uh, miracles. He first healed a woman who was ill uh, she was uh, lying down in the middle of the street and she felt as though the entire world was uh, oppressing her. And then Kimbangu just passed by and touched her and said, um, wake up and walk. And, and she woke up and walked. And, um, and then she said, who is that person who touched me? And they said, well, that was Simon Kimbangu. And she said, but he's not a relative of mine. How could he heal me? Um, and that's a very interesting oral tradition that you will be uh, told if you go to Nkamba today, which uh, uh, shows you how uh, Kimbanguism was also, uh, and, and the action of this uh, healer, like that of many other prophets in Africa, uh, was contrary to uh, lineage logics linked to witchcraft attacks and witchcraft accusations, in which only a relative of yours could, could, could make you harm, but also only a relative could uh, undo the harm that he or she had done. Kimbangu was no relative of that woman, but he, uh, but he healed her, her. And then, sooner or later, as I said before, he resuscitated a woman who was dead, whose granddaughter, by the way, lives in Lisbon. So I've done uh, a little bit of uh, oral history and oral tradition on, on that particular miracle. Um, and then, um, 
his ability to heal people in a context where people were extremely oppressed, and I think it's difficult to exaggerate the, uh, the level of oppression that Belgian uh, uh, Congolese subjects were suffering under Belgian uh, uh, rule at, at, at that time. They were really treated um, like worse than beasts. They were really uh, suffering humiliations and physical violence. And you know, uh, still today, people—if you go to the Lower Congo, people—I, I, my last trip just a couple of months ago, I was walking through a uh, through a, um, uh, a forest of um, caoutchouc. How do you say it in English? Um, rubber. Rubber. And uh, the person who was walking to me said, "Well, and you know, this is what made all these people have their hands uh, cut." Because the Belgians were forcing people to uh, um, to uh, present every day an amount of rubber, and if they didn't make it, then their hands would be uh, cut off. And this is still uh, transmitted from generation to uh, generation in, in, in the villages. So um, Kimbangu, in that context of suffering in, in colonial days, he offered relief, he offered uh, consolation, he offered some healing to uh, illnesses, to diseases. It is also very common in, 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 in colonial Africa, not only in the Congo, but in other prophetic movements I've been studying uh, directly in Guinea or directly through a literature review. It's very common that these uh, prophets become, as I just mentioned, bypassing anti-witchcraft agents. Uh, and it's also very common, in fact, in this context, that witchcraft is exaggerated, that there are crises of accusations, people accusing and blaming each other for... Uh, all sort of uh, misfortunes without recognizing that the, that the real uh, cause is the social condition in which they are living in colonial um, days. And this capacity of uh, Kimbangu to heal and to, and to treat people and to give consolation was um, spread like, like, like fire in the bush. Uh, and very soon, Thousands of people from different um, hills. This is a very, by the way, a very hilly um, region. And I've discovered by going there uh, on foot uh, twice uh, that, in fact, in Kamba, the hill where the, the, the hill where uh, Kimbangu lived is the highest one of them. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm sure that this uh, should be taken into consideration, but. Uh, Curiously enough, there hasn't been enough research on, on, on sacred mountains in, in Africa. It's a topic that has uh, been uh, quite neglected, but, but, but I'm sure that um, there will be a lot of things to be said. So his hill became like a magnet of people from other hills that uh, walked um, dozens and sometimes hundreds of uh, kilometers just to go and be treated by Kimbangu. So this uh, capacity of Kimbangu to attract people and to mobilize people led to, uh, as it happens in many other colonial contexts as well, and as it has happened in history uh, ever since the days of Jesus Christ and probably long before him as well, uh, this led to uh, political fears, fears of the governors, of uh, the administrators, of the colonizers, that this man was actually trying to organize an anti-colonial movement, that he was getting these people ready to uh, attack and do uh, some harm. So um, the Belgian authorities of uh, Leopoldville, which was the capital of the colony, Kinshasa today, uh, sent 
an army to uh, Nkamba and captured uh, Kimbangu. And this is a photograph of what happened. This is a photograph of Kimbangu being uh, taken by, by the authorities. Of course, this photograph was not taken in 1921. Nobody was there in 1921 to take photographs of, uh, of what was happening. This photograph was taken by me in 2007 in Luanda, in Angola, uh, in Luanda, in a Kimbangist uh, commemoration, in which uh, the church was remembering the suffering of Kimbangu. And this is something they do every year. They do a theater, a theatrical representation of Kimbangu's passion uh, from the day he was uh, taken to the day he died. Uh, but he was taken in September 19... In fact, he delivered himself. He, he, he went into the bush for a few weeks, but then finally surrounded and, and delivered himself to the authorities. And they took him from Nkamba to Tisville, which is about, about uh, 60 miles down the hill, where he was uh, tried. And according to the trial, he was... Uh, accused of uh, organizing an anti-colonial movement, and he was sentenced to death. Um, one, of the, um, one of the prophetic pronouncements that Kimbangu had uh, pronounced in the days he was performing all his miracles in Kamba is today still remembered and much commented upon. Even I have uh, uh, written a small article about it. Uh, it's a very mysterious, puzzling um, saying which has it that the whites will become black and the blacks will become white. It's quite puzzling and I think that uh, in order to understand the effects of this, of this saying uh, onto the minds of uh, people at, at, at his time and even in, in, in today's uh, Congo public sphere, we have to, to look at, that, at the... At the puzzling effects of, of, of sayings, the paradoxical effects of, of these sayings that force us to think uh, using categories and, 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 and ways of looking at things that we are normally not used to. But this is the pronouncement that actually led him into trouble in the day of his trial because the colonialists interpreted it as being a very provocative uh, invitation to war. You know, we have to make these people be our oppressed people, and we have to be the oppressors of these of these of these people. And Kimbangu, according to the according to the record of the trial, he actually said, "Well, you know, you're reading it too literal. Uh, this is not to be read literal. This is more or less his own uh, words." But even that, he was condemned to death, and he was sent to Conakry. Sorry, uh, what am I saying? To Kinshasa or Leopoldville at the time. Where, in fact, the uh, soldiers who were who were taking him tried to kill him by throwing him into the river, into the Congo River. And, and there is a spot in today's uh, Kinshasa, if you go to Kinshasa, they will show it to you if you want. There is a spot that indicates the exact place where they literally put him onto the water. But not just him. Uh, they put, sorry, not just his body. They, 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 they put him in a, in a, in a um, uh, container, a metal container, of an, an oil container, with chains in his uh, in chains, and then he, they throw him into the water. But then miraculous, miraculously, he walked off the waters, came out of the river, and 
again surrendered himself to the officers. So uh, they were about to kill him by other means when the king of Belgium intervened and had him uh, had his uh, penalty commute from death penalty to uh, life imprisonment. And then Kimango was sent from Kinshasa to Elizabethville. Elizabethville is today Lumumbashi, the second biggest city in Congo. And he was sent to a prison where he lived from October 1921 through uh, until 12 October 1951, which incidentally I found out recently was, well not recently, I found out a few years ago, was a Friday. Um, which um, is more important than you might think to, to understand some of the things that we're going to see. So he died in prison in 1951, and he spent, therefore, exactly 30 years in prison. In a very, very small prison, I've been there um, last year, uh, the cell where Kimbangu uh, spent 30 years would not be bigger than this space between me and, Morton, and, Mort and Morgan, sorry, and, and the wall. Uh, he was allowed to get out a few hours a day. In fact, very interestingly, uh, next to his cell, they put uh, Simon Mpadi, which was another important anti-colonial prophet. And it would have been wonderful if we knew what they were talking about, but uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't. Um, and this suffering of Kimbangu in prison, these 30 years of, of, of imprisonment, are um, very, very important in, in today's uh, Kimbangu's theology and, and social life. It's, it's very important that we keep remembering the suffering of Kimbangu, even if I wouldn't say that Kimbanguism is a sad religion, in fact, uh, you get out of their, of their services full of joy and, and, and hope, and, and, and it's a very positive uh, outlook, but uh, at the same time, the, the suffering of Kimbangu is uh, always remembered. <coughs> but not only the suffering of Kimbangu, there's also the suffering of the Kimbanguists that has to be taken into consideration. When they took Kimbangu in 1921, the Belgians also took with him lots of people that were supporting him in, in Kamba, and also in other villages, people who admitted that they were supporting Kimbangu, that they had an admiration for Kimbangu, were taken as prisoners, and they were sent to the most remote areas of the uh, colony, and we're talking about the biggest colony in Central Africa, probably um, the second biggest country, if I'm not wrong, after uh, Nigeria in, in the entire continent. And, 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 and these people were sent and uh, disseminated. I, I, I came with the uh, clever pun the other day of dissemination, because through this dissemination uh, of Kimbanguist, um, in fact, the colonial authorities thinking that they were um, making them weaker and, and, and putting them in, in, in territories where they would have no social context. In fact, what they created was the perfect uh, context for the transmission along the, uh, across the entire uh, country or colony of the Kimbanguist suffering message uh, and capacity to make people uh, endure. And, and, and these people uh, suffered a lot. In fact, they, they were uh, severely controlled by the authorities of, of the places where they were sent to. 
they were punished constantly. Uh, in Angola, uh, uh, I have a friend of mine who lives in Lisbon whose uh, grandfather was um, burned alive in, a, in, a, in, a, in an oil uh, recipient uh, where they make the oil uh, boil uh, because he was a Kimbanguist um, in, in, in Catholic uh, 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 Angolan territory. Uh, and, and these people, I've been lucky enough to meet a few of them who are still alive. They are called the relegated people. Um, they were relegated to <coughs> other provinces. And their suffering is also uh, an important element of uh, the liturgy today. In every, in every Kimbanguist service, you have a moment in which the relegates have to stand up and uh, 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 part of the cult is dedicated to them. To them or to their children. If they, if they died, then the um, suffering passes to the children. And, and it's quite interesting, uh, if, for those of you who are interested in, in, in social suffering and in transmission of, of suffering, it's very interesting to talk to these children, people my age, for instance, uh, some uh, very good friends of mine, even the, the man I'm writing about, the, 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 the man who invented the alphabet, he, is, uh, he considers himself a relegate because his grandfather was a um, relegate. And these people talk about the suffering of their uh, parents or grandparents as though it had been in their own uh, body. It's, it's something quite, uh, quite impressive. But anyway, um, <coughs> one important aspect of Simon Kimbangu is, uh, and, 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 and this links with the title of my talk, is that he is considered the Holy Ghost. And this is a, a very, sorry, uh, Morgan, I'm just going to have some water. Let me quit. This is a, an element that has created a lot of problems for Kim Banguist. And I have to admit that even for myself, uh, I have difficulty in, in understanding uh, how can they look at a human being whose biography we know very well, um, who we know was born in the 1980s, 1880s, who we know died in 1951, whom we know suffered in prison, uh, who we know was um, a catechist. How can they uh, see this person as the, as the Holy Ghost? How can a person who's got some kind of temporal uh, limitations, he dies and, and, he, and he was born, who's got a kinship, and kinship is very important, um, here we have the uh, genealogy of um, uh, Simon Kimbangu uh, offspring. Simon Kimbangu died in 1951. He was married to a woman called Muilu, who's uh, acquiring a stronger and stronger presence in the Kimbanguist church. Today, we, we are coming into a kind of a bicephalous uh, church, not, not bicephalous, but uh, bilateral uh, cult in which uh, Mama Muilu, as they, as they call her, uh, Mama Muilu is uh, almost as often invoked as, as Papa Simon. Um, and this is particularly the case since 2009 when uh, they celebrated the um, anniversary of her death. She died in 1951. And then in 2010, a few months later, the body of Mama Muilu was transferred from her village where she had been buried in 1959 
to Nkamba, the holy city of the Kimbanguis, where Simon Kimbanguis is buried, and that was seen as a reunification of the family. It was also seen as a moment when Kronos uh, and Kairos get together, when, 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 when eschatological temporalities and, and, and linear historical temporalities meet, and it was interpreted by many Kimbanguists as the moment. And I remember just a, a digression now, I remember when I was there in, in 2010, in the cult, uh, the day that, that the body was transferred from, from the village to Nkamba, and I, I followed with the pilgrims the, the, the transfer of the body. It's a very short uh, trajectory, but it was quite impressive. And then the priest who was celebrating the cult made this sermon to, you know, maybe 3,000 people from the uh, lower Congo uh, province who probably did not know much about European history, but he kept talking about Galileo. And the point was that uh, Galileo, we think he was saying, uh, that make a very important point in, in history, that his uh, moment is a very important moment because he proved the um, heliocentric uh, theory proposed by Copernicus and that the world changed and instead of thinking that we are the center of the world, we acknowledge that the sun is the center of the world. Well, he was saying this is rubbish, this is nothing compared <coughs> to what uh, the Europeans who were inventing and saying all these things in, uh, there in Europe were doing here in Africa, because while they were saying all these beautiful things about the sun and the moon and, and the earth, they were buying and selling people here in this very country. And it was a very moving sermon, very aggressive uh, sermon, uh, in fact, it was in Lingala, and the man who was translating it to me was the, the dean of the Faculty of Theology of the Kimbangu Church. And I could feel that he was a bit embarrassed to have to translate this, this very anti-Western uh, discourse to me, but, but it was quite a moment, and, and then he kept referring to what we were living as the moment. I mean, this is the moment for humanity, the moment that Mamam Wilu and Simon Kimbangu are finally reunited in the mausoleum uh, of Nkamba. And many of my Kimbangu's friends in Europe are interpreting this as the indication that they have to go back to Africa. And there is nowadays an ideology, well, not only an ideology, a practice as well, of uh, back to Africa-ness, um, which proves wrong some of the things that some theoreticians of migration had said uh, uh, 20 years ago when they were saying that Africans are not interested in going back and that it's, uh, it's wrong for Western uh, academics to, to think that they should ask this question, uh, would you like to go back to Africa, that this is being racist, that this is being, you know, as though you really wanted them to go back. But, but in fact, I can tell you that uh, as far as Kimbanguists are concerned, they do want to go back to Nkamba. They believe that Nkamba is the place where they have to be, and they believe that Nkamba is uh, a thin place, if I can use this category, a place where uh, heaven, and earth, heaven and earth meet, and where they will, will, are going to be reunited with their ancestors anyway. And a friend of mine uh, from Lisbon uh, asserts that he went to Nkamba and he found one of his dead relatives in Nkamba. I've been to Nkamba and I have to acknowledge that it is quite a mysterious place. I mean, it makes you feel very good on, on the one hand and you can understand why people attribute to, to it this, this mystical, uh, remote um, aspect. So that was Simon Kimbangu. Um, sorry, there's something awfully wrong here as it happens. Uh, but anyway, Simon Kimbangu and Omawilu had three children, Papa Kisolokele, Papa Dialungana, and Papa Diangenda. I'm using the concepts that Kimbangu is normally used, uh, addressing them with, with Papa and Mama. And these three uh, children 
it's important to take into consideration the year they were born, 1914, 1916, 1918. So they were very turbulent years in the history of, of humanity, in the history not only of Africa, but uh, especially of, of Europe. The First War, uh, funnily enough, uh, in between 16 and 17, sorry, in between 16 and 18, we have 1917, which is when uh, the apparition of Fatima took place in, 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 in Lisbon, and sorry, in Portugal, and Kimbanguists see this as uh, uh, something that they linked to uh, their own um, history. And uh, Dialongana, who was the second uh, child, gave birth in 1951, when his father was dying in prison, to Simon Kimbangu Kiangani. Uh, who is a very important actor in the story I'm telling, because it's today, you know, today he's a 60-year-old 60, 60 man who looks much younger, uh, very strong and, and, and well, kept uh, uh, very well man, who has been uh, the head of the, of the church over the last 10 years. And um, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, whom people refer to as Simon Kimbangu, was born the same day, which was a Friday, as I said before, and this is why I think that uh, it's not a coincidence, or if it's a coincidence, it's a coincidence that is capable of being interpreted in, in very mysterious ways. Um, Simon Kimbangu Kengani was born uh, 12 December, 12 October, sorry, 1951, the same day his grandfather was dying in prison. And today, when Kimbanguists speak of Simon Kimbangu, you never know whether they are talking about Simon Kimbangu, the grandfather, or Simon Kimbangu, the grandson. And sometimes if you ask them, and you say, excuse me, are you referring to Simon Kimbangu uh, or Simon Kimbangu Kiangani? They say, it doesn't matter. I've told you, it doesn't matter. It's the same person. And um, Dian Genda, the, the third child, uh, who was born in 1918 and died in uh, 1992, he gave birth, among other many other children, to a woman called Marie Mouilou, who lives in Paris, um, who I have uh, met and interviewed several times, and she is believed to be the, uh, the same person as uh, Mama Mouilou. And um, with these um, identifications, Kimbanguism sometimes are quite uh, good at, at collapsing uh, the lineality or temporality of the, of the genealogy. Suddenly, Simon Kimbangu, Simon Kimbangu, no matter whether it's uh, the grandfather or the grandchild, and, and Mama Muilu is Mama Muilu, no matter whether it's the one who died in 1951 or uh, the one who's still alive um, today. So, um, in, in, in 1959, when the church was officially recognized by the Belgians just before independence, the church was run by the Angenda. And if you, well, if you could see it properly, maybe you cannot, I'm not sure, you would realize that I've use different colors here for, for these three people, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, Diangenda, and Simon Kimbangu. And I did that to stress in, in green as well, which is the color of the church, which is uh, green, the color of hope, and hope is, 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 is the most important theological element in, in, their, in, their, in their liturgy and, and discourse. It's a theology of hope. Kimbanguism is the hope of the world, etc. Um, in their, in their uh, theology, uh, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, Diangenda, and Simon Kimbangu are the same person. So sometimes people interpret what I'm saying using the concept of reincarnation, and they say, well, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani was the reincarnation of Simon Kimbangu. 
but in fact, I'm not. I'm not quite happy. I'm not. I'm not sure that the concept of reincarnation uh, helped us uh, very much, because uh, the Angenda was born in 1918 when Kim was uh, alive um, and in prison. So it's not exactly a reincarnation of someone who passed away. It's the capacity of uh, some individuals to be multiple, to multiply themselves, and to be uh, the same person in different bodies simultaneously. Um, in any case, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani is today perceived as being both his uncle, Diangenda, and his uh, grandfather, Simon Kimbangu. And this gives a continuity to the uh, spiritual persona of Simon Kimbangu that would make it very difficult to explain things in terms of uh, charisma and routinization, um, because in fact, through these, um, through these uh, personifications, uh, and I'm using this concept because that's how sometimes people refer to it, especially in Portuguese, uh, when, when interviewing people from Angola, they talk about personificação, uh, about the, the, the capacity uh, of people to personify themselves in different personas. These personifications um, um, indicate, sorry, these uh, personifications are for them so important that when they are in front of Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, the presence of Simon Kimbangu Kiangani is his, his effect by just existing in front of you is so strong that they automatically have to kneel down and not look directly at, at, at him. And they, they make no difference between Simon Kimbangu Kiangani and, and, and Simon Kimbangu. And this takes me again to the issue of uh, the Holy Spirit. The... Theology of Kimbanguist is based on one single, well, not the theology, the Holy Ghost theology of uh, the Kimbanguist is based on uh, one single passage or two passages from the uh, Gospel of John, where uh, Jesus Christ uh, tells his followers um, that they shouldn't be sad because he's leaving. Um, because uh, even if he is leaving, he will ask his father to send another consular, another paraclete, as he says in, in, in the Greek text. And sometimes in the English Bible, uh, the consul is not translated, you can, you can read about the paraclete. And the paraclete, or parakletos in, in Greek, which means something like consular, um, the paraclete is a figure the, about which there's been a lot of literature in, in, in Western theology and philosophy of religion. Um, some people would identify the paraclete with the Pentecostal event that happened afterwards when the uh, disciples of Jesus Christ were um, desperate because the master had abandoned them and they didn't know how to transmit that charisma. I mean, how are you going to be healing uh, in the way he healed? Uh, if you know if you don't have the power that he had, but also how are you going to convince? I mean, how am I going to convince Morgan that you know my friend Jesus did all these things if I cannot do them and, and tell him that this is how he did it? So this is when the Holy Ghost, as you probably know, uh, fell upon them, and they were imbued with the Spirit, and the same Spirit that had uh, manifested itself in Jesus could manifest itself through them, and they started to have the same charisma and do the, perform the acts that, that, that Jesus was doing. 
But the Kimbanguists are the Kimbanguist theologians, and they have a very strong theology. I mean, they, they, they have a faculty of theology, uh, which, funnily enough, was, was created, and this is another uh, contradictory aspect uh, of their theology and history, because the faculty of theology was, in fact, created by a Lutheran woman um, who was doing fieldwork in Africa, in South Africa, uh, on the Chamber Church, which in many ways is quite similar to the Kimbanguist Church, and then she heard about Kimbanguism, went to uh, uh, independent Congo, met with uh, Papa Diangenda, and, and they together created the Faculty of Theology of the University of uh, of the Kimbanguist University, which for many years was only uh, theology. Now it's uh, medicine and, and and some other uh, faculties as well. But in, in, in their theology, uh, the Pentecost is something that happened in that historical moment, and then they accept and they respect, but for them, like for most of uh, Catholic understandings, for instance, uh, the Pentecost is not to be repeated, I mean, it's something that happened, and, 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 and imbued the... Uh, uh, Jesus followers with, with the spirit, but it's not that you know you can reproduce the paraclete every time that that, that you have a, a, a meeting with uh, other Christian fellows. For um, for the Kimbanguis, what Jesus meant is that he would send with the paraclete is that he would send a physical body, like he was a physical body. He would send someone like him uh, that would be the continuation of his work. And for them, it's very clear that this someone is Simon Kimbangu. Simon Kimbangu is the paraclet announced by Jesus Christ who uh, was born in Africa to um, bring, uh, to continue the work of, of, of Jesus Christ uh, among Africans uh, but also for the benefit of the whole humanity. But he started with Africans in the same way that the first Jesus had started with a very marginal place called Nazareth. Um, or Bethlehem, or wherever uh, he was born. Uh, and this second time, uh, it's also in a very marginal place called Nkamba, um, which is as marginal to the world as uh, Bethlehem or Nazareth was in in, in um, at the beginning of the of the of the Christian uh, times. So for them, then uh, the fact that Simon Kimbangu died in 1951 and that his work continued in 1951 is not a mystery because it's just the uh, Holy Ghost that uh, transmits from one uh, body to the other. There's a, a very interesting, a very interesting uh, legend, um, if I may put it in these words, because it's not even accepted by all Kimbangu, but some of them say, in popular history in Kimbangu says, that when Kimbangu died in 1951, the Belgians had an autopsy made uh, to him. I don't know if, with what rationale, I don't know why they would want to have an autopsy, but they had an autopsy and they discovered that he had no physical organs, that his body was empty. It was just uh, an empty uh, body. Um, and then some people say, well, you know, this is because the, the organs in that precise moment were flying from one body to, uh, to the other uh, at the time when Simon Kimbangu Kiangani was being, was being um, made. So, uh, in a few years ago, there was a conference in Kinshasa 
about Simon Kimbangu. And it was very interesting because the conference uh, was meant to be about Simon Kimbangu, the historical Simon Kimbangu. Um, and it was a conference organized by, the, by some scholars with the aim to prove that Simon Kimbangu is very important in the making of Congo, that the Congolese roots of today uh, have to acknowledge the suffering of this man and that more research has to be done about this man. It was an invitation to scientific research. So I was invited there, but not only me, Jean-Pierre Dozon, one of the greatest specialists on prophetic movements in Africa, was invited. We uh, were, many scholars were invited to talk about Simon Kimbangu. Uh, and the historians who organized the event with a very secular view of Kimbangu, they make it, they make it explicit that it had to be the historical Simon Kimbangu, 1987-1951. Uh, even if they uh, made this concession to the church by, by accepting the, the 87 um, date. But you can see that even in the picture that then uh, they, they, had to, uh, they had to create for the conference, they were uh, doing some more concessions to this theology of continuity between the two Simon Kimbangus, so that uh, even if the Simon Kimbangu, the historical Simon Kimbangu was used, in the picture, with the only picture that we have of him, or one of the very few that we have of him in prison, the picture of his grandchild, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, uh, was also used, because for, they had to uh, make it understandable to uh, Kimbanguists that they were going to be talking about Simon Kimbangu. And for them, Simon Kimbangu is this one here, more than this one here. To them, the, the presence is this one here. This is the one that they go and kneel in front of uh, when they go to Nkamba. And uh, the uh, conference, in fact, was funded by the church itself. So uh, it was the church that gave money to these historians to organize this absolutely <coughs> huge conference, uh, which lasted for uh, an entire week, with sessions from 9 in the morning till uh, 10 in the evening, just talking about Simon Kimbangu. And we were making the effort of talking about Kimbangu, the grandfather, and we were getting people there saying, well, if you want to know, why don't you ask him, instead of doing all this research in archives? <laughs> he knows what happened in 1932. Uh, and it was a, a really a clash of, uh, uh, of uh, understandings, and some people were very annoyed. In fact, Dozon left the second day of the conference, because we couldn't have it anymore. Um, sorry, these are Kimbanguists in Lisbon, and I'm not going to talk, talk about them. This is Mama Muilu, the, the, the uh, sister classificatory sister of Simon Kimbangu. These are uh, Kimbanguists in Lisbon, and this is the place where Kimbangu was thrown to the river, uh, the river Congo. And this is, and this is what I want to get at with my remaining minutes, this is the proof that he got out of the river. If you go to Lutendele, which is this part of Kinshasa today, you will see this uh, footstep on the rock uh, which is a reminder for Kimbanguists and for people that Kimbangu got out of the water that day. You know, uh, if we only had this, we wouldn't have any evidence that all this happened. But thank goodness, we also have this. And not only this, we also have this. This is a picture of the Angenda uh, looking at some chains that were found by the river by someone. And then he was invited, and the Angenda, look at the... Uh, at the change and said, yes, I recognize these are the chains with which my grandfather, my father had been thrown into, into the river. And, and this is what I am uh, doing now. The research I'm conducting now is looking at how 
the biography of Kim Bangu, of the Holy Ghost, is being inscribed in the landscape as ontological evidence that Kim Bangu existed, that he was quite something, quite capable of getting out of the river, even if he was in chains when he was thrown into the river. This is a place where he performed a miracle, and there's no heritageization of this place yet. I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm positive, I'm, I'm more than convinced that uh, next year, in two years or three years maximum, uh, they will build something here. But so far, this is a very, very remote village uh, that the Kimbangu Church has been neglecting, but which I, by serendipity, because I was doing research with my friend Wabiradio, the, the, the guy who invented the alphabet, and we were told in this village that Kimbangu had been here, in fact he had been a lot, in a lot of places, and sometimes at the same time, in many different places, and here he performed a miracle, I'm not going to uh, explain it now, and this man here had been told by his maternal uh, uncle, and this is a matrilineal society by the way, we can discuss that, later, uh, by his maternal uncle he had been told that this is the spot where Kimbangu did it. And this is his, his nephew, so you know, he's been uh, learning. And this is something that links with my, with my previous research on the Baga that, that, that Morgan referred to, uh, uh, about. These are traditional chiefs uh, who have to uh, confirm that the things that the Kimbangus are claiming about the land are, are true, and there is a negotiation between Kimbanguist and, and local uh, authorities uh, and this is finally the final inscription on the landscape. This is the Republic of Congo, uh, and this is the trajectory, and this is a huge map, and you can see here a, a young lady studying the map, and people go here to, to learn. And this is a, a present that the historians who organized the conference two years ago uh, did to the uh, church of the, of the, of the, of, to the head of the church, Samaki Magukiangani, to show how his grandfather's body had inscribed the entire, uh, had, was designing the entire national territory. From the day he was taken prison to uh, uh, Lumbumbashi uh, through, um, sorry, uh, uh, that, that path there, that's the way he followed when he went in prison and then uh, along the river uh, when, when he returned to uh, Kinshasa when he was uh, already dead. So his uh, body is designing um, the landscape. And I'm very interested in how the landscape, and, okay, I'm very interested, I have always been interested, even in my previous research on the bag, as I was saying, on how uh, landscape becomes a mechanism of religious transmission. Among the bag, I wrote that, that for the bag, young people of today, walking in the landscape is like following initiation. They learn uh, through invocations and memories in the landscape things that in the past they would have learned in initiation camps. And with the Kimbanguis, we could equally say that uh, the landscape, walking along the landscape, is like a process of, let's say, Kimbanguis catechism, in which they learn where Kimbangu did this, he did that, and what ontological evidence we had that he did all these things. The most important thing I wanted to finish with, uh, and I will just mention it, is that uh, there is, and, and Dozon has always insisted that there should be uh, a connection between prophetic movements and, and uh, the political theology implicit in prophetic movements and nation-making, uh, on the other hand, we should study the processes together. And with Kimbanguism, we can see now very clearly how today the state is, is trying to, uh, to uh, attribute uh, its own roots 
to people like Kimbangu, who, by the way, has been nominated a hero, a national hero. And this is, again, uh, puzzling and totally counterintuitive because um, the state wanted to make a hero uh, the figure of the grandfather. And they gave a medal uh, to the grandson. And they said, this is a medal that we give to your grandfather because he was a national hero. He suffered for this nation. And that was a Wednesday. And that was the day that the Congo was celebrating its uh, 50th anniversary of independence a few years ago. And then on the Sunday, I was in the Kimbangu's church in, in Kinshasa, and Simon Kimbangu Kiangani showed the medal that he had been given at a posthumous title uh, for being a hero. He was a posthumous hero. People are now talking of Simon Kimbangu Kiangani as being a posthumous hero, whatever that means. But, but to them, it makes, it makes sense. His grandfather was a hero. He is his grandfather. He is a hero. So he's kept the medal for himself. But of course, this is a nationalization of the message. The problem is that many Kimbanguists, uh, and because Kimbanguists has a very profound roots in Bakongo cosmology, as McGaffey quite uh, rightly had shown us, but many of the Bakongo people, in fact, lived in this other country, which is Angola. Uh, so the interesting thing now is that the capital of the kingdom of Angola uh, was here in Mbanza, Congo. And the Kimbanguists, uh, despite having been made heroes and whatever, they still have the uh, pretension to one day go and inscribe their own history in Banza Congo itself. So this is the uh, pilgrimage that didn't take place last summer. We were all waiting to go to Banza Congo with the Kimbangu church. And uh, at the very last day, when 4,000 people were in Congo, you know, waiting for Simon Kimbangu Kiangani to say, okay, let's go, uh, they suddenly discovered that they need a thing called visa to uh, <laughs> pass the border of Congo and Angola, at, especially at, um, at um, electoral days, as was this uh, last summer. And, and they didn't go. The, 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 the place was aborted. And I thought that they would be frustrated, and some of them were very frustrated, but in fact it now has bounced back and has made Mbanza Congo a very remote place, a very, a very removed place with a very uh, spiritual sense. And people keep saying that, okay, we didn't go to Mbanza Congo last summer, but we will go there next summer. So next year, invite me again and I'll tell you whether we're going to Mbanza Congo or not. Brilliant. But anyway, thank you. Thank you very much.